Good morning. Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. Boys, I've missed I've missed saying those words. I, I like having a first half and a second half. It's good to it's good to come back and be back as, as we once were. That's right, with smile. Y'all seen that smile too, didn't you? Well, all right. Well, let's as we dive in this morning, we got several scriptures to to cover. I really don't have a title for this sermon. I guess if you will, it was be reconciled to God, as we made mention of in this morning's Bible class. As you and I, as a child of God, we have this ministry of reconciliation. But know this. We know that we have to stay away from sin. We have to strive to be faithful to God. And we know that we have to be as sinless as possible. I don't mean sin-free. I, need, I, I must be clear on that. For we are sinners. When we fall short, we need repentance. We need that confession. And we need that grace to be extended unto us yet once again as we come back to God and make that decision. So as we dive in this morning, Let's begin in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 4. When John writes this, he's, in, he's encouraging the church, to you and I, of course, to be sin-free. And he knows this, that we are when we do sin, we have that, pro, we have that propitiation as Christ gave his life to be that sin debt, to paying our sin debt as he makes very clear in the beginning of chapter 2. He continues on in chapter 3 and verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in, in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. All right, let's stop right there in verse 6. Notice what John writes in verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. We think back to our lives as a child of God. We have sinned and we have fallen short. So when we think about abide, we're staying in Christ. We're staying in Christ just as Christ stayed in God. You might say, wait a minute, that sounds, sounds contradictory. Because Christ, there was no sin found in him as we learn in verse 5. So of course Christ didn't sin. He couldn't sin because he was connected to God. So that does not mean he didn't have opportunity. He had the opportunity just as you and I in our everyday walks of life to sin. But yet still he said, well, my focus is going to be on God, my Father in heaven. So therefore I'm not going to adhere to myself to sin. I'm going to tell Satan, get behind me. I want nothing to do with you. That's exactly what he told old Satan. As he was tempted in every three cases that we are tempted in, in our everyday walks of life. But verse 5 also says that he was manifested. Manifested means to, to brought to light, or to be shown, or to come to, to be manifested. Christ was in heaven. He came to earth, put flesh on for you and I. So, it's, so our sins can be taken away with that sacrifice of his life upon that cross. Notice what verse 6 says again. Whoever abides in him does not sin. That does not mean that we are not sinners. That does not mean that, well, I don't sin. Well, wait a minute. We need to back back up in 1 John chapter 1 and talk about that we, if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar. We don't want to make God a liar. Of course not. What this is saying, I'm going to have the mindset to not sin. 
I'm going to put my best foot forward to be obedient to God just as Christ himself did. But thankfully, we have an avenue of an out, if you will. That is written very plainly in 1 John chapter 1, actually starting in verse 7. So turn there with me real quick. Keep your finger there in 1 John chapter 3. But notice what it said. Starting in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that he there is, is God himself. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We've uh, uh, studied a little bit further, and if we look into the scriptures a little bit deeper, Christ did not count it robbery, even though he was wearing flesh, to be counted equal to God. He didn't. He seen it as a blessing to be counted equal as God. So if we walk in the light just as God himself is in the light upon this earth, what does that mean? It means I'm trying my very best to be godly. It means that I'm trying with the skills that God has given me to be obedient unto him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that's, that's God again, cleanses us from all sin. And in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Does that give us permission to sin exceedingly? No. No. Again, go back to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. With our knowledge of there being more of God's grace than there is sin in the world, well, let's just help God out by sinning some more. Uh, certainly not. Paul screams it out. If in your Bibles, there is an exclamation point there. He yells it at them. No! How we, how we who died to sin live any longer in it? Folks, as a child of God, we died to sin. We have nothing to do with unfruitful works of darkness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Again, going back to 1 John chapter 3, notice what is said in verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And the second part of that, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now couple this again with Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Again, repetition, right? What's the outcome of not being obedient to God? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There'd be some sad words to hear on Judgment Day. And this is after the opportunity of repentance is there. With that lovely word of repentance. So as we turn way back, you know how we like to back up here at Booth Chapel, turn to Luke chapter 13. This is the very person who was manifested to take our sins away as we abide in him. Well, we're going to look at the other end of that spectrum. We're going to look at the ones who sin. We're going to look at the ones who openly disobey God. Jesus uses a wonderful reference in their minds. And of course, he, he custom tailors his teachings to the folks who's actually teaching to. Luke chapter 13, actually starting in the first verse. There were present at that, at that season some who told him about the Galileans who 
whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Did you hear what he said? Their thoughts and minds were what they were doing was wrong. That, that's wrong. That's deserving of death. Well, Christ is telling them, unless you repent, unless you turn away from your wicked, sinful ways, you likewise shall perish on Judgment Day. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? God immediately killed them, not together, one after the other, the husband first and then the wife. But they lost their lives that day. Why would they do that? Because they lied to God. Repent or perish. You might think, well, that, that's a funny word, repent. So that's a way of saying turn away from. Turn away from your sins. Stop following Satan. Start following God. Again, with that thought in our minds, turn with me to James chapter 4. For as we know that if we don't repent, we're going to perish for Christ's own words, right? Christ's own teaching applies until this day. Unless we adhere ourselves to God, we're going to perish. James says it likewise in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You might say, well, wait a minute, that's some, odd, that's some odd speech. Why is James talking that way? Why does he want us to mourn? Why does he want us to be sad? Sad for our sins. Sad for the cost that it cost us to have salvation. Cost to God. We do realize that, right? A third of himself took on sin. The very thing that he hates. I know that's a hard word. That's a stern word. Somebody told me that's a strong word, hate. God hates sin. Why does he hate sin so much? Because it separates him from us. He hates it so much because it cost him something dearly. For a very short time, he was separate from his son. The very thing Christ was fearful of. The thing that he was praying in the garden for this cup to be passed, he knew he was going to have to die. He knew that leaving heaven, taking flesh on in the, in the womb of Mary. He knew that. So why would we not draw near to God? The one who promises us salvation, the one who promises us everlasting life. I don't, I don't understand why people spit in the face of Jesus. I don't spit in the face of Jesus. 
we might want to need to uh, read Hebrews chapter 10 very closely. As a child of God, we need to take notice of something significant of Hebrews chapter 10. Are we sinning willfully? Are we openly disobeying God? Because if we're, if we're openly disobeying God, that is, that word sin, that sacrifice on that cross that we're so sad for, that, we're, that we weep for, that we mourn for, it does not apply to you. If we sin openly, it does not apply to you. That's strong. Them stern words. Well, the writer of Hebrews can't be any clearer. If you notice in the very next verse of verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of fiery judgment. Did you hear what he said? That will devour the adversaries. So, okay, so if we read back in James, oh, I just lost my place. If we read back in James chapter 3, oh, excuse me, 4, so if we're fleeing from God, drawing near to Satan, right? The opposite of what's instructions from 7, of verse 7 of James chapter 4. So that means to tell me I'm an adversary of God? That's exactly what I'm telling you. If you're drawing near to Satan with your unfaithfulness, if you're drawing near to Satan by the absence of God being in your life, you are his adversary. Hebrews 10 Verse 27. And if you go on following a little bit a little bit further, I want you to think about something. How important is the blood of Christ in your life? I can't think of anything more important in our lives as of right now. For that blood was shed for our sins to be remitted. For that blood was shed so we can come to God, so we can draw near to God, so we can get away from the devil. First off, know who the devil is and flee from it. The blood of Christ was shed so that you can that your sins can be remitted, so you can come to God, so you can be his child, so you can hear those wonderful words on judgment day. Well done, good and faithful servant. And another example is you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a master of many. Don't that sound a whole lot better? That sounds better in my mind altogether. So why do people of the world, I'm, I'm, this is those who are hearing my voice, who are outside of God, why do you choose to resist God? He offers you something wonderful. He offers you a chance of salvation. That it costs something that you yourself would not pay. If we look very carefully at that instance on the cross when the sun is darkened, and it took six hours for our Lord and Savior to die upon that cross, which was a short time in comparison to any other crucifixion. God had mercy on it. When those skies darkened, and our Lord and Savior took on your sins, well, guess what happens when a person takes on sin? Separation from God. Isaiah 59.2 teaches that. He separated. He was separate from his father. And he was alone. We hear his instance as he breathes his last words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? I'm alone. He 
for the first time ever in his life. And he did that for you. So your sins can be remitted. So why would you deny? Why would you disobey? Why must you continue to be iniquitous in your lifestyles? You might say, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to come to God. I'm not ready. When are you going to be ready? When are you going to be ready to come to Him and be faithful so you can adhere to the promises that He has given to His children? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee from you when you draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Realize what God gave for you. Fellow brothers and sisters, I, I, I fear that we lose the gravity of that in our everyday walks of life. I fear that we lose sight of the sacrifice that Christ gave for our sins. When we sin, when we disobey, and we refuse to repent. He said it plainly in Luke. We read it just a few minutes ago. Repent or perish. Turn away from those sins that you're involved with today. Do not let the sun set on your wrath to God. Yeah, I said it because the Bible said it. Your sins, your disobedience to God, showing Him wrath. Knowing very well, knowing very well what it cost Him, the Father knowing what it cost the Father to have His Son die upon that cross. So my encouragement this morning, when we realize, when we find that John writes, and he says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Right at the beginning of this lesson, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Why do we choose as people to be disobedient to God? We have an opportunity this morning to adhere to the words of Christ as he was teaching. Well, they was condemning those Galileans. Well, Pilate mingled those bloods, but he mingled it all up. He was, That's wrong. They're all guilty. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Put yourself in that judgment scene yet again and look within yourselves. How would you stand? Justified? I didn't say sinless. I did not say that, nor will I ever say that. We're justified. Or would you be standing there lost and terrified? Because justified offers peace. When we're justified in the eyes of God, that is saying in adherence to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we're walking in the light as God himself is in the light, that is, trying our very best to be obedient to his word, finding out what he would have us to do and do those things, or finding out what's displeasing in his eyes and stop doing those things, as so many people refuse to do. But thankfully, we have a way out. 
Notice I said at the beginning of chapter 1, chapter one, chapter 2 of 1 John. Let's read that very first verse. And also the second. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Propitiation means he paid your sin debt. He gave it up. My heart breaks when I think about it. To know that he had to die on the cross for my sins. We need to make it personal. Because on judgment day, I'm not going to be standing there with you. I'm going to be standing there with me. I'm going to be giving account of things that I have done in my life. So will you. Where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. God is the Father. And we should have been obedient. And we'll give an account of all the things we have done, whether good or bad. And I hope the good outweighs the bad. I hope we can stand before God justified. As we are remembered, that's the reason why we humble ourselves. We remember that sacrifice of our Lord and Savior in our everyday walks of life. I don't just mean on Sunday morning. I don't mean just on Sunday night. I don't mean just on Wednesday night. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in our everyday walk of life. As we're out there separate from the saints, as we're meeting this morning, it's, it's easy to be strong in the faith. It's easy to center our minds upon God and His Word. The difficult part is, just as the first century realized, when you're out there with the lost, it's a little more difficult to center our minds upon the, upon the Word. But nonetheless, it's we're, we're capable and we're able. We made a mention. We, I made mention this morning of standing up for the gospel. We do that when we're out there in the world. We do that when we're with the saints. We continuously stand up for the gospel, or we should. So this morning, as we realize the the few scriptures that we read this morning, to know that we got to repent of our sins when we when we do them. The scriptures encourage us to not let the sun set. That is saying, do it now while it's now. Because in ten minutes ain't promised. I know you hear the statement, well, tomorrow's not promised. Five minutes ain't promised. Christ may come right now. Are you ready? If he come right now, and whoop, there he went, were you ready? If you weren't ready, it's too late. If you're not right in the eyes of God. Let this encouragement wash over you. God wipes away all tears. After that judgment scene, if you have been found faithful, rest awaits. Don't that sound a whole lot better than this? Standing before God terrified that you were not ready openly sinning, disobeying God, drawing near to Satan, hearing those words, depart from me, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation speaks of it in chapter 20. Where that lake of fire exists, 
That's designed for Satan, the false prophets, and all those followers of Satan. Those who have drawn near to Satan. That's where they will spend an eternity. I can't be any more clearer than that. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me to know that place exists. It should, it should, we should have enough fear of the Lord to be obedient unto his word to say, I don't want to be there. Now when I say fear for the Lord, I mean reverence. I mean obedience. I mean putting our best foot forward to serve him in our everyday walks of life. I'm going to give you an example. How about Paul? How many of us think Paul is an upright man? He's, a, he's the Christian of Christians, right? Yet still he was a man. We think of Christians of Christians as Jesus Christ. He was Christ himself, so he was Christ-like. Remember what Paul told Ananias? He didn't want to go talk to Saul. He was Saul's time. He said, I don't want to go talk to him. He's putting Christians to death. He's taking them off to jail. I don't want to go talk to him. Jesus told him, says, he is my chosen vessel. My chosen vessel. This Saul, later to be called Paul, was Jesus Christ's chosen vessel. And he writes in Romans chapter 7 that it is his will to not sin, but guess what? He hates it when he did. So you mean to tell me that, that Paul sinned? That's exactly what I'm telling you. So you and I are not beyond sin. But repentance is within grasp. Do you find yourself this morning as a child of God sinning, knowing very well that you have not, not yet repented of that sin? Turn away from it or else perish. The words are, you know, I would say black and white, but they're actually white and red. Mine's Christ's words are in red. As Christ speaks to us, he tells us to repent of those things. Hate the things that we do that's displeasing in the eyes of God and turn away from them because it will condemn you on judgment day. You may find yourself outside of Christ, needing Him. I urge you, turn away from your sins. Come to Him. Be immersed or baptized for the remission of those sins so as God can add you to the kingdom and the hard part after that, being faithful for the rest of your life. Revelation 2.10. It's getting easier to not say that S at the end of it too. Revelations, no, it was one. It's getting easier. I'm getting in the habit of it now. What does he promise in Revelation 2.10? Be ye faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Folks, I want to encourage one more thing. Let, let us take this encouragement through our everyday walks of life to know that we can have peace upon this earth in Christ. You can have peace. Hard times are going to come, difficulties, death, injuries, pain, suffering is going to happen up on this earth. But it's temporal. Compared to eternity, it's like taking a dropper of drop and dropping it again in the ocean. It didn't rise none. Just, it just went in there. You've seen it go in, but it didn't, it didn't change anything. That's a comparison of now to eternity. Where would you spend your eternity if Christ come right now? If it's hellfire, we need to make that change. We need to make sure we're in heaven. Let's make sure we're standing before our Heavenly Father, justified, wearing His Son, and having that access to His blood, being His child. Do you need to make that change to being unfaithful, or work, unfruitful works of darkness to instruments of righteousness? Why don't we make that change as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation?